I'm Liam Printer, and this is The Motivated Classroom. Hello, bonjour, hola, and falcha to this episode of The Motivated Classroom. Thank you so much for all of your support. I'm genuinely quite overwhelmed by the reaction. It's been fantastic. So please continue to keep sharing with your colleagues and friends who might be interested. In the last episode, we spoke about autonomy and how we can try and raise perceptions of autonomy in our students and also the importance of doing it for ourselves as teachers and the effect and impact that has on our motivation. Today, I want to speak about some comprehensible input teaching strategies that really have autonomy at their heart and therefore lead to more motivation and engagement. And in today's episode, we're going to really look at how to create an invisible character using what's called the one word image, something that originally was coined by Ben Slavic. So hang around for that. First of all, I suppose we need to talk a little bit about what is comprehensible input teaching. So many of you may have heard about comprehensible input before. It comes from Dr. Stephen Krashen, who originally came up with this theory in the 1980s about how languages are acquired. Now, it's certainly not without its critics. There are many people who say it's far too simplistic and it doesn't account for all the varying aspects of second language acquisition. Personally, when I started teaching in a more comprehensible input way, I noticed that there was much more motivation and engagement in my classes. So what is it? Essentially, comprehensible input is an umbrella term for strategies that allow the teacher to give students loads and loads of input or understandable messages at their level. So it's speaking slowly in the way that the students will understand using gestures and uh, sometimes translation, but your face and body language and different ways to make sure that they're understanding everything but also trying to get lots of their interests and creativity in there as well. So it would probably go away from the more traditional way of learning languages that I certainly learned languages by in school, which was much more to do with a textbook following chapter by chapter, thematic units, learning long lists of vocabulary and starting grammar right from day one, essentially with grammar tables. Comprehensible input teaching or CI as it's often known gets away from that and tries to just give students the inputs they need to communicate. And it doesn't force output, but it allows them to get loads and loads of listening and reading in before they feel ready to output. Now, again, I really think that there's a balance there somewhere in the middle. I think comprehensible input strategies are wonderful and they work really, really well. But I also feel there is sometimes a space for some more traditional activities to break things up a little bit and to give those learners who are more linguistically focused like ourselves as teachers a way for them to feel success in the classroom as well. So for example in the comprehensible input class you know you say the word like piensa which means think. You point to your temple on your forehead and you know you make a gesture with your eyes. That type of thing is very comprehensible input focused but it would be really about not trying to overwhelm learners with too much information and making sure that they're able to follow everything. And interestingly, you know, there's quite a few studies out there that show grammar instruction is not useful for beginners. In fact, grammar practice exercises, they can result in improved language output accuracy, but it's mainly for older students or students who are moving through the levels or who are a bit more advanced. But at the beginning levels, 
there's very little research there to show that grammar instruction is is helping with achievement and there's lots of research to show that it is not helpful with motivation and engagement. In fact, it results in demotivation and disengagement. You know, some students are really motivated by grammar and tables, but not many. We were those. We're the language teachers. We went on to study linguistics. We love talking about rules and why this has an S here and an X here and why is it a T in this one and how this links to that and the direct object pronoun and the indirect object pronoun. That's our vibe. That's our thing. But for most teenagers, that is not what they're about and they don't really want to learn about the mechanics of the language. They just want to learn the language and be able to use it, particularly at those beginner levels. And of course, as you know, I'm all about the motivation and raising the engagement. So I concentrate on those activities that I feel are are going to have the most chance to succeed when it comes to motivation and engagement. Because for me, I think if you get that piece right and the research would show again that, you know, motivation is really the most important factor. And if you can get that piece right, you're in with a very good chance of the other things getting done, like the the focusing on the accuracy and doing the homework and doing the tasks that will lead to the really positive learning outcomes. Get started with the motivation. And there's actually a number of studies out there. Um, there's a couple of meta-analyses, actually, which you know is a huge amount of studies brought together, showing that activities that fail to compel or create interest in the learners are going to lead to boredom and disengagement. I'll stick a link to that up on the website, my website, liamprinter.com forward slash podcast. And you can get all of the program notes and links and resources from various episodes there. So a fairly recent um, quantitative study, a big study of over 600 students and 400 staff, where they actually use self-determination theory to look at student motivation and school leaders' policy choices relating to modern language study in the UK. They actually found that in general which reflecting many other studies that came before it, Parish and Lanvers is the name of his 2018 paper, they found that in general, foreign language students are poorly motivated and that their motivation goes down and declines throughout secondary school. So we have work to do. And they also say that, which is interesting, I feel, that language learner motivation, it can actually be rejuvenated when the teaching practices account for the basic psychological needs of autonomy, competence and relatedness. So now on to some of those techniques and strategies that you can use in your class. One of the ones that I love is called One Word Image. It's originally by a guy called Ben Slavik. Um, I like to call it the invisibles or the invisible character. And here's how it works. So this is an activity that is really student focused and it's all about giving them loads and loads of input at their level. It works really, really well with the younger students and the beginning students. But equally, I've used it with older students and just used more complex ideas and thoughts and processes when talking about the character. So how do we start it off? First things first, If you're in a classroom which allows you to do this, push the tables back out of the way and just have chairs in a theatre style. So if you have 20, 30 students, two or three rows of chairs, simple as that. When the students come in, the first thing you're going to ask them to do is to select a profe numero dos or a teacher number two or a asistente or in my class I sometimes call it el juez, which means the judge. So that's going to be another student who's going to help you with decisions as they go on. So they can vote on that or quickly pick one or someone can put up their hands. 
And that what happens there is when you come to difficult decisions where do I take decision from John or do I take the decision from Maria? The teacher number two will make the decision for you. And it also helps them to make sure that they feel like they are in control of the character that they're building. And of course, that's key to autonomy and motivation. So I like to tell my profe numero dos, it's really important that you look for smiles and interest. So when people come up with an idea that has loads of smiles from it and you think it's a good one, then we can go with that one. Now, sometimes I'll just pick because it'll be quite obvious if a student says something, an idea to build his character like he used to uh, row in a one man rowing team and everyone laughed at that and it got a great reaction, then I'll just go ahead with that. Profe numero dos or my assistant really comes into their own when there's two or three ideas that are evenly split along the class. So where is this character? Is she in Jamaica or Spain or London? And it's really equal. Then she will come up with that and and she will help me with that. Next, you need an artist. So you can just ask for an artist or the students can select an artist. And usually you will have someone who likes drawing who will be willing to do that. Now, we start by building our character. So the first thing you say is, okay, class, I want you to look here. And you point in the middle of the floor where there is nothing. And you say, I want you to visualize an object, a thing, anything you want. It can be anything, but it must be some sort of tangible thing. Now, in a full beginner's class, this may be my second or third lesson. I will do this completely in Spanish, but with really slow language, translating words on the board and using loads of gestures. So I put up on the board una cosa or in French une chose, which means a thing. So they know that's what they're doing. Now, then I might say one sentence in English and say, if you don't know the word in Spanish or French, that's totally OK. Say it in English. I'll help you. So then we go around the class, I go back to speaking in Spanish and I say number one, number two, number three, what is it going to be? And I ask each student, I say, what what can you see here? What is it? And of course, they're looking at you like you're a bit crazy, like there's nothing there. But you just say, I want you to imagine, you know, and again, the words imaginer or imaginate, they work very well between French, Spanish and English. But if it's another language, you may need to write it on the board and you pointing to your forehead to show that you're thinking or imagining. And then usually the first few students will come out with very normal classroom things. They'll say a pencil, a book, a table, a chair. But someone, as they notice that you're taking these ideas in, will come out with something kind of strange. Like last year we had a floating carpet or someone came up with a piece of glass and then everyone went, ooh, and that became our object that we chose. So once you've had all the students give their idea, You ask them to vote and they can vote by writing or they can vote by hands up on what is it or as you may just pick what it is if it got a really good reaction from the class. So again, you're looking for smiles and interest and things that they find kind of funny and interesting. And of course, you may need to go back to your class constitution. If you haven't listened to that podcast, that's episode number two. So go back to your class constitution if they come out with some ideas that are not appropriate for the class you may just need to walk that student over to the class constitution and point at the word respect and then smile. And that's it. And they'll know why. And of course, if it comes up again, you may need to have a chat with them after class. But usually they're okay with this. So now we've picked an object. Let's say, well, I want you to do it. Think of an object in your head while you're listening to this. Any object. 
Okay? And now, imagine it's right there in front of you. So yes, I'm going to try and read all of your minds right now. You are thinking of a speaker, because that's what I can see in front of me. So let's just say the class decided it was a speaker. Just a standard rectangular music speaker for playing loud music on. So there's a speaker in front of me, a digital speaker. And I tell the class, "Okay, here it is in front. Everyone look at it. And we're using the words look and we're giving them that comprehensible input. They look at it and then we start to come up with things and identities about this speaker. We give it characteristics that a human or an animal would have. It's kind of important as well. You may need to kind of beg for lots of participation here. And you have to say things like, look, I really need you to participate here. It's only going to work if we're all in this and you have to build this with me. And they don't know they're building a character. I never tell them at the start we're building or inventing an invisible character. So far, they just know it's a thing. So now once they've got a thing, then you start to give it those human or animal characteristics and you say, so what colour of eyes does the speaker have? And they'll all be like, what? Eyes? I'm like, yeah, he's got eyes. Of course he's got eyes. What colour are they? And then you take your ideas. And last year we had multicoloured eyes. So it was a speaker with multicoloured eyes. Are they big or small? Well, last year our speaker had uh, one big eye and one small eye. It's quite strange looking. Again, this all came from the class. And as you go through this, it's really important that you are teaching to their eyes. That's the thing you'll hear in comprehensible input teaching or CI teaching. Teach to the eyes. Know when you need to pause, know when you need to look, but really you're trying to concentrate on them and their ideas, looking them in the eyes. And know when you need to ask for volunteer translators. Sometimes there will be words and things that are not being understood and you'll have to stop and go back and make sure they're getting it. So now they've got, it's got eyes. Then we continue with more of those physical traits. Has it got a big mouth with one tooth or five teeth, a small nose? Has it got big ears or small ears or long hair or short hair? And this again would be for the beginners who don't know any of this vocabulary. And this could take days to to get as far as this because you must go slowly with this don't go too fast while this is happening your artist is drawing now ideally they're behind a a flip chart um, what do you call those things a flip chart is that it so a chart of paper they're drawing but the rest of the class can't see what they're drawing ideally and what I like to do actually is have one artist come up for five minutes then someone else comes up and adds someone else comes up and adds and at the end you have your big reveal so next we need to figure out internal characteristics of this speaker. So what is it doing? What does it like to do? You know, did it used to play football but now plays basketball? Where where does it live? How does it feel? Is it sad? Why is it sad? It's sad because it had a pet but its pet is lost in the jungle. Any of these, whatever the students come up with and you feel like it's appropriate, go with it. The more time you spend building this character, the more connection they have to it. And the more they will love when that character appears in one of your stories or in one of your texts that you've done during the year. Again, for beginners, they'll often come up with little cute animals like the younger children of little. Last year we had Dumbo the elephant. Uh, He was a blue elephant, but had pink eyes. But he had a trunk that was eight metres long. And, you know, these are the things that the students remember this at the end of the year. 
So go into lots and lots of detail and don't worry if it is taking you way longer than you thought because they are acquiring naturally all of that vocab from your first chapter about hair colour and eye colour and characteristics and brothers and sisters and all of these things are being acquired. Do they know them perfectly? Can they write them and say them? Absolutely not. But they are just gradually starting to acquire these things. Now, after you've built up lots and lots about the character, their physical characteristics, their history, who they are, what they do, don't be afraid to talk in past tense if it comes up naturally. Now you give it a name. So you wait a long time, but now you give it a name. Now, the name is usually a bit of a difficult one and you'll need your profe numero dos, your, your assistant teacher, to help you with the name. When they select a name, it can be anything as long as you feel it's appropriate for your class. Now next, once you've got a name, they'll sometimes come up with in my class like a Spanish sounding name because we're in Spanish. And I go with that if that's what they want. But if they want a completely random name like Spiquero or Speaky Speak or something like that, that's totally fine too. And now we try and delve a little bit into the culture. So maybe while you're listening to this, you're like, okay, that's all cool. They're getting loads of great vocabulary, but we haven't really touched on any Hispanic culture or French culture here. So how do we get that in? So obviously at this stage, you will bring in that your speaker who, let's say he is called, um, I don't know, let's say he's called Liam. Let's say he was called Liam, a speaker called Liam uh, with multicolored eyes, one big, one small and a huge mouth. <laughs> Yeah, perfect. So let's say that that's your speaker. Uh, it's your digital speaker. He's square in shape and um, has two circles like many other speakers you would see. So that is that is what it's got. Then I will say, where is he from? Or, you know, they might, we, maybe we've established that already. But I might say something about what's his cultural background? What kind of culture does he come from? And then they'll say, because they'll know me, they will say, oh, he's Irish. His name's Liam. He must be Irish. And I say, no, actually, he's Bolivian or he has a strong cultural link to Bolivia because his mum is Bolivian and he spent the summers in Bolivia. They'd be like, what? And then you can get into those lovely discussions about what is in a name. Just because his name is Liam does not mean he's Irish. Just because his name is Pablo does not mean he's Spanish. So what is in a name? And allow them to explore that and that a name does not necessarily say where someone is from or what their cultural identity is. And the next part I like to do to really embed cultural awareness is I ask them, how does Liam, the speaker from Bolivia, eat rice? Now, that is a great question for cultural understanding. And I'll use that question then to get it from the rest of the class. Who eats rice in their house? Almost everyone will eat rice, but the way they cook it and the way they serve it will be vastly different. So that simple question of how does your family eat rice? can really lead to some rich cultural discussion. Yes, they may need to explain some of this in English. You can listen and put back the main parts in your target language. That's that's something that is totally okay for them to do and help them out with that. But you can then talk about, well, how do they eat rice in Bolivia? How is it traditionally normally cooked and what way? And you can explore that a little bit. And you're not going into deep, deep cultural knowledge here, but you're trying to show them that the way we prepare food can often be very linked to our culture. And they're learning about each other too at this stage, saying that, well, this student prepares rice in a completely different way than we do in our house. We only ever eat it as risotto because we're Italian, let's say. And someone else in the class may prepare it in a totally different way because they come from a different culture. And it really does 
allow for some genuine cultural understanding, which is quite nice at a very early stage. So now once we've got our character and their history, we retell it over and over again with loads and loads of questions. And this is where you pretend that your memory is terrible. And I always say in Spanish, mi memoria es fatal. So I'd say like my memory is terrible and it's awful. I'm so old. You have to help me out here. And then I'll say things like, was was he, did he have red eyes or? Oh, no, no, you're right. Multicoloured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had multicultural eyes. <gasps> That's right. Multicoloured. And Oh, right. He had a big mouth with two teeth. Oh, no, you're right. It was just one tooth in the middle. Of course it was, of course. So you keep going back over it. And at this stage, I'll often have students who want to write a bit about it. They can be writing facts to do with the the invisible character. And I'll get them to come up and I'll say stuff like, you know, oh, watch, you don't run into Liam, the speaker, and they'll have to walk around pretending it's there. And then they'll say a few words. I might write it. I'll put them into pairs. They have to write five sentences that are are correct um, about the character, for example. So then they might be writing it out for me on a Google Doc and they'll share it with me. I'll edit it and then we will read that in the next class. We might have true or false questions about it. So there's reading, then you retell it. Then there's more writing, then you retell it, then you add more details. The possibilities are endless, but don't be afraid to allow this to go on for quite a bit of time. They will build a strong relationship to that character. Then you can, of course, come up with comprehensible questions. You can have comparison questions between what we learned about other people in the class and Liam, the speaker, for example. Formative assessments, they can draw it in the next class and show it to each other. But really, you want them to just be really proud of it. I got a lot of this, of the invisible characters from Margarita Perez Garcia, who is an author, and she did a presentation on this and and I thought it was just fascinating. She spent almost a whole week just building this character with her class, but the amount that the students could say after one week, they would never have got that, in my opinion, in my class, just from reading and doing the exercises in their textbook. And then Sarah Breckley has a great uh, blog and she has lots of these tips. And in particular, I learned from her about having the second teacher, which was a great little idea that she took from Ben Slavic. So why spend so much time on this? Well, think about what motivation was from that first episode. Autonomy, competence and relatedness. Autonomy, the students are building this character themselves. They have a huge amount of ownership over it. Competence. You are accepting their ideas and it's their ideas that are building this. They feel like they're saying things right. They're able to talk about this character. They're able to share with their friends. They're able to tell their parents about it. They feel like they're understanding everything. And relatedness, you are building strong relationships with them by accepting their ideas. And they are also building relationship to this character and your class. So it really does hit all of those areas of motivation And it's a really nice thing to do is to get them to go home with the reading that you've written out uh, with the use of your class who helped you to do it about this character. It might be a whole page and get them to translate it in their mother tongue to their parents or whoever they have at home. And that is really powerful because the parents see that after just two weeks, their son or daughter can understand and read all of this really good Spanish or, or French. So that is the episode on the one word image or the invisibles. I really hope you found it useful and you can play around with it and just have a go of it with your new classes, particularly your beginners. I think you'll have a lot of fun with it. Just give it a try.
So I hope you're really enjoying this Motivated Classroom podcast and all the episodes, which I've made the difficult decision to keep it ad-free and sponsorship-free. I've had a few sponsors come forward, but I've decided, do you know what? I just want the listeners to have a clean experience. And I hope uh, that you'll support the podcast and continue to share it with uh, other teachers and colleagues that may be interested in it. So as always, we will finish with a little bit of Irish. So I started by saying Falcha, which is welcome. We had that already. And we also had Guramahagat previously, which is thank you. Now, when you want to say Guramahagat, that means to one person, Guramahagat with a T at the end. The T is for you. If it's to lots of people, and I hope there's lots of you listening, then I should really say Guramahagiv. A-G-A-I-B-H, believe it or not, is the Agiv part. And that means to plural you guys. So, Gurmahagav, Makorja, which is my friends. In the next episode of The Motivated Classroom, I'm going to talk more about relatedness as that key psychological need for motivation and how we build relatedness and relationships in the classroom. So I hope you'll join me for that. Gurmahagav, Makorja, Slonawalia. The Motivated Classroom podcast is an original production by Liam Printer. I'm at Liam Printer on Twitter and my YouTube channel is Liam Printer, The Motivated Classroom. Full podcast notes with links to resources are available on my website, liamprinter.com. For more, find and follow the Motivated Classroom podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Graphics and music are provided by Paul Mahan. Intro clips are thanks to the wonderful multilingual staff at the International School of Lausanne.